Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Crowd Noise Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Martinez. On Thursday, August 8th, 2019, and it is a uh, toasty one here today in uh, Crowd Noise land. It's uh, over 95 degrees, uh, the high today with uh, over 30% humidity. And uh, in our downtown metropolitan uh, recording studio, it is uh, over 14,000 Kelvin. So it is... uh, it's a, a cozy one today. It's it's a pretty toasty outside today. I know I'm one to uh, exaggerate. I know this about myself. I take things and I, I I like to I like to tell tall tales. I think they're fun stories. I think it makes for more interesting stories and it grabs people's attention. But I am not exaggerating in the slightest when I tell you it is literally hotter than the devil's anus in here. It is it is truly one of the hottest rooms that I've ever had to be in. So those are the conditions that I am currently battling today uh, for the recording of the Crowd Noise podcast. It is a toasty one, as I have said. Uh, But we're not going to let that stop us. We are going to uh, soldier on uh, for the rest of the show for the next uh, hour and a half or however so long before, uh, you know, potentially I I die of heat stroke. So until that point, we're going to have a fun show. It is our very first all football episode of the 2019 calendar year. It's the first time we've had an entire bas- excuse me football show. We've had plenty of pure basketball shows, but for 2019 we haven't had one just yet until now. Football is right around the corner. I know preseason starts tonight, and I promise you, I give you my word. There will be no preseason coverage today or for the remainder of these next four weeks, unless it is a major injury. Of course, if somebody goes down a star or a key player on a team, obviously we would have to address that. But as far as what what player is fighting for the 52nd spot on the roster, I don't care, okay? I really don't care, and I know you don't care either. It's a waste of time. They need to just go ahead and remove preseason in its entirety because it, it, it's a joke. So we're not going to talk about that. But football is right around the corner. We are one, two, three weeks removed from the beginning of the college football season, which I cannot wait and, quite frankly, need to do my homework on because every year rosters are cycled out throughout the country. Obviously, players only play a maximum of four years, and really in today's, um, you know, athletic climate shall we say players really only stick around until they absolutely have to you know they don't they don't stick around for extra years so uh we're gonna be prepared for that college football preview cannot wait for that my personal fantasy football draft is two weeks from this saturday august 24th cannot wait it's we're right at that that uh that time fantasy season is starting to kick into gear i know a lot of guys are having their drafts um this week which i think is a stupid idea because preseason just begins and people will get hurt. I'm telling. I promise you. Every year, there's someone in preseason who gets hurt. So I think it's a mistake to have your draft this early on um, in the NFL season before the preseason even starts. But hey, to each his own. And fantasy is right around the corner. It's actually already beginning. So there's, you know, it's an exciting time. It's a very fun time. Football is right around the corner. It's the Christmas Eve of football. I could make an argument that Christmas Eve is honestly more fun than Christmas Day because it's the buildup it's it's the waiting it's the anticipation you know you're you're 
trying to fall asleep and it's it's one in the morning you're trying to go to sleep and you can't because you're waiting for christmas day you want to unwrap all these presents and we are we're in christmas eve mode right now for the nfl season so we have a our first all football episode of the 2019 calendar year so uh let's go ahead and get right into it and then quarter of the week is football as well we have all everything on here it's it's non-stop football coverage it's probably going to be like that for the next few weeks uh, honestly because we were going to do some fantasy build up some college uh build up and then obviously we have our nfl stuff a little bit later because they start a week after uh college football does officially on september 5th which we are actually one two three four weeks out we are exactly four weeks out from the return of nfl football it is right around the corner ladies and gentlemen i cannot wait i cannot wait it's going to be a blast so let's go ahead and get right into it even in the NFL, there is not much major news. There isn't any seismic events or storylines. There's Antonio Brown and his disgusting feet, though they're saying it's not. They don't, he doesn't have a timetable for return, but it doesn't look like it's going to be serious. So that's a developing story, but it's just something to keep your eye on. It's not like he's out for the season. Or a few weeks, then that would be a story. But they're they're monitoring his feet, so that's there's that. Um, Baker Mayfield shotgunning a beer at an Indians game. What else are you going to do at a Cleveland Indians game? That's not really news. Um, so the biggest news, I think, I would assume in the NFL right now, is Ezekiel Elliott holding out uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. And this is a troubling situation, in my personal opinion. The Cowboys have run into a fork in the road. They have a serious dilemma on their hands. I, for one, personally do not believe the formula for winning a Super Bowl is by having your best offensive player be the running back. I don't think it's a formula for success as far as winning the whole thing. It's only ever happened twice in NFL history where the rushing leader won the Super Bowl, Emmitt Smith and Terrell Davis. Only twice ever in NFL history. So it's not even a modern football thing. It's a historic, proven football thing. It's not like it because in this era of football, we throw the ball so much that the running backs are devalued and there's no place for running the football in today's game. That's not even the case. It hasn't happened ever but two times. So it's not a true formula for winning a Super Bowl is having your best offensive player being a running back because when you and you have a workhorse like that and you run him into the ground throughout the regular season then you have to play late into January into February it wears down players and it wears down teams quite frankly it doesn't takes a toll on your entire team having to play at such a slow pace not being able to score as quickly as other teams relying on one single player to be the focal point of your offense it's not an ideal formula for winning a Super Bowl. So from that perspective, the Cowboys have all the leverage in the world. Why would they have to sign Ezekiel Elliott if that's not the formula for winning a Super Bowl? And will they? Will your team be successful and be a winning team with a star running back? Yes, absolutely. The Steelers with Le'Veon Bell, they didn't have him last year, but you know historically they were fantastic with Le'Veon Bell. The Rams with Todd Gurley. You know, these backs, these star-studded backs, they're great players. They are. They're very good at what they do, and their team will be successful. 
but is not the long-term formula for winning championships. It's the same argument I make for teams in college basketball that chase down these five-star one-and-done players. Are you going to be good? Yes. Will your team be relevant? Yes. Will they be exciting? Sure. Will you win a national championship? No. It's only ever happened once, really. Anthony Davis and Kentucky. That's it. It's the last time it's, it's really happened. And it, it doesn't work in college basketball. In football, if you have a star upper echelon running back, and that's the focal point, he's the best player on your offense, and he's the workhorse, will you win games? Yes, because you have, you have a great player and you're utilizing your assets. Will you get into the playoffs? Probably, because you're going to win games in the regular season. Will you win games in the playoffs when you're facing smarter defenses, when you're facing worse weather, when you're facing different conditions, and you're facing the fatigue of your own running back? It's not, it's not the formula for winning. However, on the other hand, for the Dallas Cowboys, their entire team is constructed around Ezekiel Elliott. Without Ezekiel Elliott, the wheels fall off at the Dallas Cowboys. And I understand how valuable Amari Cooper is to that team. He's not of equal value to Ezekiel Elliott, but I would say he's the next, he is the second most valuable player on that offense, more so than Dak Prescott. And I think because of Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper is so valuable. Overnight, that team hit a complete 180. The Cowboys were left for dead, and people were talking about them trading away Dak Prescott and tanking and trying to find a new quarterback for the future at one point last year. It was that bleak. They traded for Amari Cooper, and overnight, they become the hottest team in the NFL. That balance, it's not just so much Amari Cooper, it's the balance between Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott that help elevate Dak Prescott. And he's a good player. Dak Prescott is, I would say, upper half of the NFL, and that's it. I would stop right there, upper half. He's probably, there's 32 teams in the league, right? 16 is the half mark. I would say he's probably around 13 to 14. 13, 14, 15 is where I would put Dak Prescott comfortably. He's one of the upper, the better half quarterbacks in the league. But that is not, obviously, upper echelon, quote-unquote, elite territory. He's not up there with Joe Flacco, okay? Dak Prescott needs these pieces. He needs Ezekiel Elliott. He needs Amari Cooper. He needs that offensive line. Dak Prescott is a good player, but he does not elevate his teammates. It's the other way around. His teammates elevate his play. And that's okay. Not everyone can be Pat Mahomes. Not everyone can be Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson. There's a reason why those guys are so special. But the Cowboys now face a dilemma. In paying Ezekiel Elliott, does this now hinder your ability to surround Dak Prescott with the support that he needs? Because we've seen Dak Prescott without Ezekiel Elliott was not very good. We've seen Dak Prescott before Amari Cooper arrived. Even with Ezekiel Elliott, they were struggling. And a few years back when Ezekiel Elliott was suspended, the Cowboys were terrible. They were really 
truly awful. They needed Ezekiel Elliott on the football field. So we've seen Dak Prescott without both Ezekiel Elliott, with Ezekiel Elliott, and without Amari Cooper. And the results are mixed at best. The Cowboys have a serious dilemma because they're kind of putting themselves in a deeper hole. They're in a hole right now tying themselves to Ezekiel Elliott as far as this is their formula for winning, being the running game. But if they let him go and they trade him away, you're trading away a potential Hall of Famer. Ezekiel Elliott is the best running back in the National Football League. He just, he flat out is. I don't care what you, Todd Gurley, I feel like that knee is really going to start deteriorating and we've, we're going to start to see the down the downtick of Todd Gurley. Le'Veon Bell has been without has been um, outside of football for a year now. You cannot, in good faith, say he's still the best back in football. Is he top five still? Yeah, absolutely, of course. But you can't say a guy who hasn't played in over a year is still the best at his position. David Johnson stuck in, in Siberia essentially in Arizona. Terrible offensive line. He can only do so much. Alvin Kamara, great running back, actually. Put him in the top five, top three as well. But you cannot say definitively, definitively that those guys are better than Ezekiel Elliott. He's the best player at his position in the game. But again, it's not the formula for winning. Can the Cowboys change that formula? Because this is the way that they've won and they've been successful since Ezekiel Elliott was drafted by the Cowboys? Possibly, because they have a very good team. The Cowboys have uh, annually one of the best offensive lines in football. You have Amari Cooper, who revived his entire career, and he's sneaky young. I don't even think he's 25 yet, or he may just be 25. The future is bright with Amari Cooper. You have a very young, stout defense with Leighton Vander Esch, Jalen Smith. They have a very good team. The question is, can they do it in January? Can they do it in January with this roster, with this formula? Run first. It's only ever been done twice in NFL history. But the Cowboys don't really have the option to go another route. Because they are stuck with Dak Prescott. And being stuck with Dak Prescott is a good problem to have. I'd much rather be stuck with Dak Prescott than per se, I don't know, Matt Stafford? Even, I mean, he's a great thrower of the football, but the Lions are a terrible football team. It's a good, Dak Prescott, again, is in the upper half of the league. He's not bad. He's not great. He's good. He's a good player. But you have to surround him with the supporting cast, cast to win at the highest level. And the Cowboys, unfortunately, are going to have to pay Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper, I believe, first before Dak Prescott, because Dak Prescott is only a valuable asset if you have those two players at your disposal. And at that point, how much money do you even have left for Dak Prescott? I, they're in a serious hole, I truly believe. And they're going to pay Ezekiel Elliott. They will. When has Jerry Jones... I'm going to repeat that. When has Jerry Jones ever been a tightwad? Right? They're going to pay Ezekiel Elliott. The question is, are they going to be smart in how they pay him or will they be destructive and pay him all the money in the world and not have anything left over for Mari Cooper and watch him walk out of the door? Or will they overpay Dak Prescott 
and watch either Ezekiel Elliott or Amari Cooper walk out of the door. I feel the least, or excuse me, the most likely to leave the Dallas Cowboys because of financial disputes is Amari Cooper. Only because the Cowboys aren't extremely loyal. They're quote-unquote a family team. They're all about homegrown players. And Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott were both drafted by the Cowboys. And Amari Cooper obviously was acquired via trade. I feel like the Dallas Cowboys would pay. If it came down to it, you can only pick two out of three. I feel like the Cowboys would pay Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott and not Amari Cooper. Which may not be the smart decision. Because you have to have those weapons for Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. My goodness. When he came to the Cowboys last year, he became one of the best uh, wide receivers in the league. From that point on, from when he went to the Cowboys on, he was one of the leaders in, in the league in receptions and receiving yards. He had two monster games against uh, the Redskins and on Thanksgiving Day. Was that the same game? He had two hellacious games. I know that for a fact. He had two monster games uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. And he produced just about every single week. I think um, he had multiple touchdowns throughout his tenure with the Dallas Cowboys. And I don't think it was Dak Prescott elevating Amari Cooper. I think it was Amari Cooper finding a new system and finding a better fit for him. Because honestly, now let's ask ourselves this question. How much better is Dak Prescott than Derek Carr or vice versa? They're pretty close. Honestly, Dak Prescott and Derek Carr are pretty close to each other. I don't know who I would, and I perhaps would give a slight edge to Derek Carr only because of his throwing ability. But even still, Derek Carr does not have the mobility or game managing skills, I would argue, that Dak Prescott has. Those are, I mean, the game management, that's, that's an intangible. So it's really, um, you can't really uh, differentiate Derek Carr and Dak Prescott. They're pretty much equal. So I don't think you could let, uh, let Amari Cooper walk out of the door. You cannot absolutely let Ezekiel Elliott walk out of the door because that's the way your team is constructed. This is, this is what you've tied yourself to, for better or for worse. The Dallas Cowboys have a serious dilemma on their hands. And now moving on to the other team in Texas who has the opposite of a dilemma, the Houston Texans. This morning just acquired Duke Johnson from the Cleveland Browns, who wanted out of Cleveland after they essentially handed over the number one job to uh, the number one running back job, I should say, to Nick Chubb after they acquired uh, Kareem Hunt. It seemed like though it seemed as though Duke Johnson was out of a job and became a third down back at best or even a special teams player. He wanted out. Baker Mayfield, he took that really well. Um, and so they finally moved him this morning. They sent him to Houston uh, at a, in exchange for like a mid-round pick. I, I should have this information for you, but it's not a, it's really, it's like a fourth-round pick or something like that. It's not a huge deal. But they got him out of the building. For Cleveland, you really weren't looking for uh, a bunch of assets in return because you have a stout running back core already. Duke Johnson was not essential to your success next season. So this is kind of an, an addition by subtraction for Cleveland and Houston. The reason why I say this is the opposite of the dilemma is because now they have an insurance policy. The Houston Texans are one of the greatest what-if teams over the past three, four, five years. They've had severe injury problems. It seems almost annually in Houston. And they have great players on the Houston Texans. They have fantastic players. Deshaun Watson, I think, is in 
uh, a top 10 quarterback, potentially top seven in the league. Deshaun Watson's got a ton of talent. DeAndre Hopkins, best receiver in the game, bar none. Got Will Fuller. He's part of those uh, injury-prone players. Obviously, J.J. Watt, extremely injury-prone. And Jadavian Clowney, another injury-prone player. But they have... They have studs on that team, and it seems like every single year somebody goes down, and they're kind, of, and they still find their way into the playoffs, and they're kind, of, they're not at full strength. And the reason why I say this is an insurance policy is because now you're not over reliant on Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins single-handedly scoring forty points a game. You now have. An actual balance on offense. And that's something, that's a theme that I've been talking about over the past week or two. I love teams with balance, not teams that are over dependent on the running game or the passing game. Teams have to have a solid level of balance. For me, when I'm picking winners and I'm gonna, when I'm picking Super Bowl champs and division winners, I'm looking at teams who know how to spread the ball, who can share the sugar, which team can you not prepare for? Because if a team has balance, what do you take away? How do you stop those teams? And the Texans have not had balance over the, pa- the course of these past four or five years. Be- number one, because of injury. That's part of it. And number two, because they've had an over-reliance on the passing game. Uh, is it because they have great throwers? Years prior, no, that was not the case. Now it is. You have Deshaun Watson, a great player. They have, obviously, a great receiving core. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller. But every year, Will Fuller, or not every single year, but years uh, recently, Will Fuller has been injured, and it's been easier for teams to shut down, uh, excuse me, DeAndre Hopkins, because now they don't have to worry about Will Fuller the fifth anymore. Comes from Notre Dame, fun fact. Um, And adding Duke Johnson, I think, provides them a level of balance because Lamar Miller is one of the great shall we say, fantasy illusions, right? Every year you see him in fantasy leagues going like the first six or seven rounds. Say, why is Lamar Miller going that high? And the guy always says, well, he's a starting running back and there's no one behind him. And every year Lamar Miller has come to underproduce. Now, this isn't a fantasy story, I promise you. This is an actual football story. But fantasy has a lot to do, has a lot to share with reality. They're not the same. Imagine fantasy football and regular football as a Venn diagram. They are different, but they do share uh, many similarities. Sometimes the stats are telling of a player, and sometimes the stats are not. You will see great players in the NFL be terrible fantasy players, and you will see great fantasy players uh, be really not great and productive actual football players. Lamar Miller is neither a great fantasy or a great football player, and I think it has really hindered Houston's ability to go deep into the postseason. They don't have that running game, um, that pr- that ability to take pressure off of Deshaun Watson when Will Fuller goes down, when their offensive, someone uh, on their offensive line goes down. They can't keep the ball away from teams and keep their defense off the field when J.J. Watt goes down or Judavian Clowney. They've had struggles with injury. And now I think Duke Johnson is the number one. I think they make this trade with him being the starting back in mind and really that's what he wanted was to be the starter that was a problem in Cleveland that uh, he was not starting and he wasn't even going to be the second guy on the death chart he was probably going to be the third or fourth guy I do think they acquired him with him being the starter in mind it looks like they're going to move away from Lamar Miller but vice versa 
Now, if Duke Johnson goes down, or if you need a spot for Duke Johnson, you have Lamar Miller, who is a veteran, clearly not a workhorse back, but could uh, potentially give you some solid numbers in spots. Maybe he's a bench guy. Maybe he's a depth guy. Not everyone can be Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Todd Gurley. It's okay. I do, but I respect that the Texans now have identified the problem and have done something about it. Now, those of you, those of you who have listened to the Crowd Noise podcast, um, you know, annually, first off, thank you. Just know you're very much appreciated. Uh, but number two, you know how much I love the Indianapolis Colts. The Indianapolis Colts are one of my favorites to get to the Super Bowl. I really love the Colts. But now this does tip the scale ever so closer towards balance. Does this make the Texans better than the Colts uh, in my book? No. But it does close the gap. And in football, it's not like basketball, where you have to be definitively better than a team to win in a playoff series. Like if you really don't see upsets and close series in the NBA, and ultimately it's if you see a close series, it's because those teams are even. And then eventually it comes down to depth who has the better players on their bench, and then it goes back to, well, they're just a better team. They have a better bench. They have a higher quality of players. Football is not necessarily the case. You can close the gap and still feel because and then this is part of it too. It only comes down to a one game scenario in the postseason. They don't play series in football, so I don't. I think being in a one game playoff when teams are so close and so competitive, it does make things uh, a little bit more unpredictable, shall we say? Uh, like in basketball, going back to the analogy, if you're the better team, you have the better players, you're going to win the series. In football, you can have the better players, you can have the better coaches, but on any given Sunday, you can fill in the rest of that phrase. I do think this closes the gap for the Texans. It makes the AFC South already, which is already one of the more competitive divisions in football. Any one of those teams can make the playoffs. The Colts, the Texans, the Jaguars, and the Titans. The Titans, everyone forgets about. They've made the playoffs for two straight years now. The Titans consistently go to the postseason. As little as anyone talks about them. Because they're not a real threat to go deep in the playoffs, but they do make the postseason consistently. Anyone in that team can win the division and go to the playoffs. And I do think this now makes it even more competitive. Adding Duke Johnson now gives the Texans an insurance policy on on offense, well, uh, first and foremost, in case either Will Fuller gets hurt or even DeAndre Hopkins gets hurt, which would, I mean, that would really derail the entire season. Um, or even uh, J.J. Watt, if he were to get hurt, if you have a solid run game, you keep your defense off the field. Ergo, you keep the other offense off of the field. I think this is a great move for the Texans. It's not a huge blockbuster deal. This isn't Melvin Gordon getting traded, which we still don't know if he will be traded or won't be definitively by the Chargers. That would be a huge blockbuster move. But this is one of the quieter, under-the-radar moves that I think is really going to pay dividends in the grand scheme of the regular season. They could uh, you know, legitimately be a threat to win the AFC South. If you told, I'm still going to, I would say the Colts are a deeper team than Houston. And I think that plays a huge factor 
especially in a sport like football, where injuries are guaranteed, essentially. Injuries are going to happen in all sports, but especially in football, a co- not a contact sport, a collision sport. I think it pays dividends to have a very deep roster. I think the Colts are deeper than Houston. So I would give them the edge in the AFC South, but it's not it's not night and day. The Texans are right behind them, and I do like this move. They And even the Texans got in the postseason last year, lost in the first round, but I do think this is going to help add depth and balance to a team that has lacked quite frankly, both uh, of those attributes for over the past few years. And this is going to take a load off of Deshaun Watson, who I think the Texans and the rest of the league are, quite frankly, undervaluing. I don't think Deshaun Watson has the same supporting cast as, say, a Dak Prescott. Oh, which, I mean, you might be pointing at me and screaming, well, he's got DeAndre Hopkins, the best receiver in football, but he doesn't have the Dallas offensive line right? He doesn't have the depth that Dallas has. Uh, I don't even think Houston's defense really, you could argue, is better than the Cowboys top to bottom. They have the star, the stars of J.J. Watt and Jadavian Clowney, but as a whole, as an entire unit, I could argue the Cowboys have a better defense than the Houston Texans. I really could. Um, And so Deshaun Watson doesn't have that level of supporting cast that Dak Prescott has. And I think across the league, Deshaun Watson is slightly undervalued because he doesn't put up, uh, he's not as, uh, well, number one, he doesn't play in the Dallas Cowboys. Whoever you are, I don't care how good or bad you are, when you're on the Dallas Cowboys, people are going to know your name. So that's number one. And number two, uh, Deshaun Watson doesn't win as many games and his teams aren't as good as, say, Dak Prescott or the Dallas Cowboys and doesn't get the level of respect that he should. I think Deshaun Watson, you could put them right there at number six or seven. Like behind Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, like those, like the top guys in the league. I really do. I think you could put him in that class. But his teams really haven't. Uh, he hasn't had the level of support over these past few years. And I think adding Duke Johnson, well, not a superstar by any stretch, I think this does make a good team even better. Now time for everyone's favorite segment of the show, the quote of the week. Let's close it out real strong, ladies and gents. Quote of the week, we find the best quote from the previous week, and we put it at the end of the show, and we call it, get ready, the quote of the week so we're this this is it let's do it let's close out the show real strong uh quote this is i think this is potentially the longest quote in crowd noise history and it's not a paragraph it's only two sentences but we usually just grab like four or five word you know statements like not really any uh phrases i guess or state uh, actual statements like sentences so this is the longest quote in crowd noise history so get ready uh quote I know people say Alabama was tired because they went through the grind and had to play all these teams, but they won by an average of 33 points, so they ought to be well-rested. Clemson head coach Dabo Sweeney. Uh, In regards to people who say that Alabama was too tired and they were run down and that's why they were beaten to shreds in the national title game, uh, and I think this is a load of baloney. I tend to side with Dabo Sweeney. Because they did dominate most of their schedule. It's not like they they faced um, where they were like an Oklahoma team or Texas, where they played in, in a weaker conference, but all the games were tightly contested. Yes, they play in the SEC. Yes, they see monsters in that conference, obviously Georgia. Um, uh, Auburn, LSU, they see these monster teams, but they do also see a bunch of 
I mean, quite frankly, these ridiculous teams like Mercer, the Citadel, Southern Alabama University, like teams like that, that Clemson doesn't, quite frankly, just doesn't even face. Or they get them those first week or two, and then they go into their conference. Now, the ACC is not, it's nowhere close to the SEC when you compare teams from top to bottom, right? Because Florida State is not the Florida State of Jameis Winston and Jimbo Fisher. They're not the same teams anymore. And then the next best team after that, you could argue, is like Georgia Tech or, or North Carolina. Like they're not, it's not nearly as deep as the SEC where you have obviously Alabama, but then you have Auburn, then you have LSU, then you have Georgia. I mean, they just have studs in that conference. But here's where I take issue with that. Me personally, I thought Alabama was the best team in the country last year. Uh, you guys... Definitely know about that. I picked them to win just about every single week. Picked them to win the national title. And they got throttled on national television. But as Dabo Sweeney did point out, they did dominate their entire schedule by an average of 33 points. So how now, all of a sudden, in the national championship game when you actually have days off, you actually get a week to prepare for the national championship are you tired and run down and you can't even compete and you can't come within 28 points uh, of winning? I, I, I think this argument is ridiculous. I think this is, um, you know, this is something that's constructed by Alabama fans. This is something that's constructed by pe- people in the SEC who try to defend uh, the conference and try to say it's the best conference in the league. You don't have to defend yourself, okay? Number one, when you're the best and you know the, you know you're the best, You don't really have to engage in in these arguments. In-N-Out and Whataburger. This is a famous California-Texas debate. When you go on Twitter and you see people say they start, you see the the Alabama, you see the Whataburger-In-N-Out debate, go to the original tweet. And 10 times out of 10, the person who initiated the argument, I promise you, is a Whataburger stand. There's someone who sides with the, they have the inferiority complex. They need to um, validate themselves. You never see people who stand in and out or people who work at in and out start the argument because they know they're better. They know they're the best. When you're at the top and you know it, you don't need to engage yourself in these petty arguments. Again, Clemson's the best team in college football. But as far as comparing conferences, it's the SEC. And in my opinion, it's really not even close. And in fact, if, if, it's, if we are comparing conferences, I would say the next best conference is the Big Ten. I really wouldn't even put the ACC in that, in that conversation. I'd put the Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin. Uh, you know, you can throw even Iowa in there. They're a pretty solid team. Um, but I wouldn't throw the ACC in that conversation. And so I think this argument, well, Alabama was tired and they were run down. They played in the SEC. This was constructed by people in the SEC and people in the South, Okay. And it's just a dumb argument. How tired and run down could you possibly be that you were blown out? It wasn't even close. You can make this argument if the national championship was, it was a 10-point game or a one-possession game and you could just see Alabama just runs out of steam and they just have nothing left in the tank. Then you could make that argument. But when you're blown out on national TV on a neutral field and it's, quite frankly, not even, it, it's not even entertaining... This is a ridiculous argument, and I tend to side with Dabo Sweeney. And he's kind of getting a little bit, I will say this about Dabo Sweeney, kind of starting to feel himself a little bit. He's been in the media a little bit over the course of the past week or two. He's getting a lot of interviews, 
and uh, he's making some of these kind of a little bit of testy uh, comments, kind of shooting down. Well, Alabama's not in our class. They weren't tired. We beat them. Okay, you did. That's fair. Uh, he denied to give Kelly Bryant a national championship trophy or excuse me, a ring after he transferred away. He said, well, he wasn't on the team, so you don't get a ring. Okay, that's true, fair. Um, but when you're on the top, you're allowed to start feeling yourself, right? You're allowed to start, when you're the best and you know it, you got to act like it. You got to treat yourself like the big dog. And for the past 10 years, it's been Alabama. They've been the big dog and no one's really touched them. And now it looks like we're starting to move into a new era. Looks like Clemson is the new big dog in the country. And he's trying to fight all these people who are trying to tear him down and say, no, it's Alabama, it's Alabama, it's not you. We're not ready for change. And not only are we changing, it might have already changed. We might have already seen the changing of the guards in college football in the national championship. And what's fun about this is these teams look like they're on another crash course to see each other. The two best teams in the nation are Alabama and Clemson. So we might get to see yet again another Alabama and Clemson matchup in a championship game, which I don't think is a problem. And I said this uh, last season when people were complaining, is it's bad for college football that the same two teams every year aren't in the championship or in the playoff. Absolutely not. This is the opposite of a problem. This is what you want. You want the two best teams in the championship. And if it's the same two best teams, then everyone else has a problem. Why do we blame the teams that are actually winning and doing what they're supposed to do for winning too much? We want to see the best two teams in the title game. And it looks like we're going to get that for now. In the title alone, a third time. This will be the fifth time in a playoff slash championship environment we'd see these two teams. But it'd be the third time we'd see them in a national championship. And I quite frankly cannot wait. Uh, Clemson obviously taking the last round. And Dabo Sweeney. When you're at the top, you don't have to engage with these, these petty arguments. They're the best, they know they're the best, and they should not have to engage with, do you think Alabama was too tired to come within 30 points in the national title? No, it's, it's absolutely not. It's a ridiculous argument. It's constructed by people in the South, Alabama fans, and SEC fans, and I don't, th- it's, I don't know why people in the SEC have to defend their conference. We know the SEC is the best, top to bottom, we know this. Why do you have to try and make up this, this bogus excuse as to why the best team in the conference got blown out? Clemson is the best team in the nation. Does not make the SEC the best conference by any stretch. Alabama got blown out. Um, they've been in the best conference. That does not make them the best team in the nation. So I, people need to stop. You need to chill out. I know we're getting a little bit restless because we've been waiting a long time for college football to come back ever since it ended on kind of a sour note because we expected a little bit more of a competitive game. But don't make up these stories. Don't make up these ridiculous arguments and, and false narratives that just try and, trying to spark uh, argument. In and out is better than Whataburger. Get over it. It's just, a, it's just a fact of life. Don't try to make up these arguments to try and make yourself feel validated because it's not true. And college football is right around the corner. So we can stop all these ridiculous arguments. All these petty, you know, ridiculous arguments that people try to start because they're getting anxious and restless because they're waiting for the teams to come back. That's all it is. People are just, they're restless. It's okay, I understand. But you can stop now because we are only one, two, three weeks away. Okay? Just hold off for three weeks. That's all I'm asking. Just give me three weeks without any ridiculous comments. 
without any ridiculous arguments, and everything will be right as rain. That is going to take us to the end of the show this week. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you for sticking around. Uh, yesterday was uh, ESPN 8, the Ocho. I don't have any television recommend. I try to say, like, for the very, very end of each episode, I try to tell you these games are on, go watch this, go watch that. Uh, last week there was nothing on. I said go watch Shark Week. And yesterday was ESPN 8, the Ocho. They had uh, Tetris on there which I think is a slight against uh, eSport Tetris players. Tetris is not a wacky sport. It's just a video game. But anyway, they had those, They did have one, uh, what I thought was pretty crazy. They had school bus racing world championships. Uh, they had the Golden Tee World Championship, which is another eSport. Um, so yeah, there's that. But that already passed, so you can't watch that unless you record anything that you can go. Or you can probably find some stuff on YouTube. Uh, I don't have any recommendations as far as sports television. Uh, there's preseason on tonight, but I would never tell you in good faith to go watch preseason. I, I love you and care about you way too much to put you through that. So, uh, you know, just go on, uh, Netflix. They have, uh, Spider-Verse now. I saw Spider-Verse for the first time recently. Uh, yeah, just recently when it came on Netflix. I did not see it in the theaters, and I just saw it very recently. Fantastic film. It's a great movie. You've probably already seen it, because I know I was the last person... Everyone had already seen Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse on Netflix before me. But if you're like me and you just haven't watched it to this point, even if you don't like Spider-Man, you don't like Marvel, it is a great, great movie. So go ahead and watch that, I guess. And uh, I will, uh, I'll talk to you next week. I'll try to find something else on the TV guide for you for the next uh, ensuing week. So I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care.